Arise. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Tzidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and he said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Revelation. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will gather all the nations and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God in glory everlasting. Amen. And you can be seated. As I mentioned at the beginning, it's All Saints uh, Sunday. That's the prayer for All Saints Day. I thought it'd be great to pray it um, this morning. And also, it has that great word, ineffable, um, in it. Uh, not a commonly used word. It means uh, beyond uh, words, beyond description. So maybe in this next week, look for an opportunity to use the word ineffable um, in a conversation. Uh, it's a great one to use in prayer. Obviously, the Lord is ineffable and speaks of the ineffable joys um, that we have in Him. I recognize uh, this morning that our gospel reading um, I would say is one of the more challenging teachings of Jesus, which is saying something because Jesus' teachings are often very challenging. Uh, but this is one where we uh, feel that challenge, this vision of uh, the final um, judgment. And perhaps you heard this morning and saw that the um, uh, scripture or the sermon is around hospitality and generosity, and maybe you felt a little bit like, Man, that's kind of an unhospitable reading, right? You have Jesus saying, depart from me, cursed, right? It doesn't seem very generous or very hospitable. Uh, but I would say a couple things to that. One is, of course, another one of our values is devotion to Scripture. We value Scripture as God's Word, and we shouldn't be surprised if God is speaking to us through His Word that we are challenged at times. For He is God, and we are not, and so we at times may be uncomfortable because we're being stretched uh, by his word. But I also want to suggest that this passage, I believe, um, uh, captures just how important hospitality and generosity are. 
And I think sometimes those are traits that we may say, sure, those are good things. It's good to be hospitable. It's good to be generous. But, you know, maybe that's especially for hospitality people and generous people. Maybe that's kind of an optional thing for followers of Christ. And then we read um, that teaching and we realize, oh, no, uh, we are all called to this. It's a really big deal to give out of what we've been given to show generosity and hospitality to those around us. So our um, uh, value of uh, hospitality and generosity, and again, we're doing a sermon series on our values. Um, This is how we describe this one. We have a place on our website where we kind of give little descriptions of each of our values. So I want to read the description that we have for this value. We say, we make God's love for all people known, especially the poor and marginalized, by practicing sacrificial giving and unconditional welcome through following Christ's example. So again, note, especially the poor and marginalized. And so as we talk about this value of hospitality and generosity, we're called to be hospitable and generous to all people, right? But again, we see in Jesus' teachings, right, throughout, we see in Jesus' actions that especially we'd be concerned for those who often aren't shown hospitality, for those who are often forgotten by our world, the, the, the poor, those on the fringes of society, those, again, who often are not seen. So certainly in this value, we are not saying that we shouldn't show hospitality to others. As a matter of fact, another one of our values is trusting in the abundance of God. And when we show hospitality and generosity to those who already have a lot, we're just demonstrating how abundant God is and how generous and hospitable he is. But again, we should especially, our hearts should especially break for those with limited resources, for those lacking hospitality, lacking shelter, lacking care. So that's where I want to uh, focus today. But again, the reason we value um, hospitality and generosity for the least of these, the term that Jesus uses, um, is because all people are valuable. Every single person is made in the image of God and deserves honor and respect. So the first thing we can say as we consider this value is that hospitality and generosity flow from what we've experienced. So we are called to hospitality and generosity, to welcoming in and to giving out, because that's what we've experienced in the Lord, right? We've experienced his hospitality, his bringing us into um, the family of God. We see it actually in our um, uh, uh, gospel or in our revelation reading, right? This great picture of the saints praising Jesus. And what are they saying? He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Right, so we celebrate Jesus has been generous to us. He has given us a home. He has fed us, right? He has given us drink. And therefore, we um, respond by, as well, giving out of those things. Uh, to look at this um, passage in context, uh, so this is actually the final um, teaching of a long series of teachings that Jesus gives in Matthew 24, Matthew um, 25. And the teachings actually begin when the disciples ask Jesus, what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? So they ask him that question and they get a long response. <laughs> they get, again, multiple pages of teachings from Jesus about the end of the age and about his coming. And if you look at those teachings, much of it is parables that Jesus tells similar parables, but with different sort of takes on them of preparing for his coming. And so there's kind of a main theme of be ready, right? Be ready for my coming. Be ready for the end of the age. That's a major theme we'll get into in Advent um, uh, next month. And so you come to the end then of those teachings, and he moves from parables to a description of the final judgment. So this is not a parable. It's, it's again, has been preceded by parables. But here, basically, he's showing us, right, a very specific, concrete way we can be ready. 
is to care for the least of these. And he calls us to this by telling us this is what the final judgment will look like. And just, just imagine Jesus is sitting there in front of you, right? You're one of the disciples. He's teaching you, right? You've spent three years with him. And suddenly he gives this picture of final judgment and basically says, me, right, the son of man, I will be sitting on a throne and I will be judging all the nations. Right? If there's any question before this for the disciples that Jesus is not just the Lord of the Jewish people, that, he's, that he has not just come for them, but he's come for all the world, they see it here. Right? If there's any question that Jesus is making bold claims about himself, right, it's very clear in this teaching because he is basically saying, I will judge all the nations of the world. Right? Again, he's not saying, I am God, but it's clearly that is what he's saying, right? Because only God judges all the nations of the world, right? They would have understood that. They would have understood Jesus is equating himself with the Lord, with God, and he is. He is saying this is what he is called to do, and it is what he will do. And that's actually really important because as we begin, we consider that. One question that sometimes comes up with this teaching is, well, is this teaching that we are saved by our good works? Is this saying that a final judgment, right, the way we will, again, um, receive eternal life is by having done enough, by having cared enough for the poor? But that's where, again, we need to read this. This is for disciples. He is speaking to those who, again, accept this teaching that he is the Lord and judge, right? To believe this teaching, you're saying, I believe that Jesus ultimately will be the one who judges all things. And so, again, there's an assumption of, I have put my faith in him, I have trusted Jesus as the judge, and he is telling me, here's a question I'm going to ask you, right? We hear that again as the disciples first heard that. And so again, this isn't contradicting the clear teaching of scripture, right? That we are only saved through faith in Christ, right? Our good works cannot save us. Jesus came as our Messiah, as our Savior to save us, right? At the beginning of the gospel of Matthew, and an angel is speaking to Joseph and telling him that he will, um, you know, be the father, sort of father of Jesus, right? The angel says of Jesus, he, came, he comes to forgive his people from their sins. So right at the beginning of Matthew, it's clear, Jesus is coming as the savior, right? We cannot save ourselves from our sins. We need a savior. And this is actually the final extended teaching, the final sermon that Jesus gives in the gospel of Matthew before he goes to the cross, if we were saved by our own good works, right, he wouldn't need to go to the cross, right? We need a savior to pay for our sins. But again, um, we actually see here, and we see this in many places in scripture. When you start to notice, uh, you see it a lot, even in the book of Romans, that while the scriptures are very clear, we are saved through faith in Christ, through his death and resurrection on our behalf, we are judged according to our actions. And so that's kind of sobering, right? Of course, we plead the blood of Jesus, right? We know it's through his shed blood for us, we're saved but there is again and again a warning, a, uh, just a teaching of you will have to answer for what you've done. And here we see um, that moment, right? But again, the, the hospitality, the generosity, the mercy that we are called to flows out of what we have received um, in Christ. And so, um, again, that comes out very clearly in this, right? You, you've received these things from me, therefore give them out. Um, to others, right? May it flow um, out of what you've uh, received. Just one more, a couple more things on that. Um, uh, one, again, I think this passage from James is clarifying in that regard, right? Where James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well-filled 
without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right, so we have received grace, we have received mercy, out of that should flow grace and mercy. Um, and Jesus even says, right, to those that, again, um, the, the sheep, right, he says, righteous ones, blessed by my Father. There's an acknowledgement, you have received much, right? You have received righteousness from the Lord. And so live that out. Now, that does not mean, right, that it's only those who have received from the Lord, only those who have put their faith in Christ that show generosity and hospitality. We know that's not true, right? Matter of fact, I'm sure all of us have examples of sacrificial giving, sacrificial hospitality and generosity that maybe we have received and we know others have received from those who don't know Christ. Again, that's a part of common grace, right? As many demonstrate the love of Jesus, even if they don't know him. And we also know there's blessings for them in that. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, it says this, who is ever generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay them for their deeds, right? And so there's a, a blessing that comes in giving and sharing for all people, right? And I'll say more about that. But again, we also hold true, right? That it's only through Christ, through his name, right? and through faith in him that we may be saved. So again, there's a, a receiving and a giving. And it should just naturally happen that of course we give out of what we've received, but just in case Jesus gives us this teaching, right? Just in case we, it's not clear, this teaching makes it very clear. The second thing we can say is that we see in this passage is that hospitality and generosity are seen in simple acts. What does he say? Right? When you fed someone, you fed me. When you provided someone right, um, that was thirsty, when you gave them drink, right, you did that for me. You welcomed me when you welcomed strangers. You clothed me when you clothed someone who was naked, right? You um, visited me when you visited someone in prison. Do you hear the simplicity of that? You just gave someone something to eat. You just welcomed them in and you were blessing me. He does not say, you know, when you miraculously healed someone, you healed me. He doesn't say when you developed a cost-effective way, right, to feed the hungry, right, when you um, dealt with the injustice in the prison system, right, when you uh, didn't just uh, give someone a fish, but you taught them to fish, right, you know, he doesn't say that. Now, again, all those things we would say are very important, right, and we celebrate those things. So I'm not saying that sarcastically, because again, we love that there are those who have given their lives to, to work towards justice, We love those who remind us, right? We don't just give out food, right? We encourage people and we equip people. All that's very important and all that's very biblical. Yet this moment, right, in in this moment, Jesus is just saying, did you just give someone a drink of water? Did you just give them food? right? It, it, the simple act of mercy, right? That, I mean, that's the first step to dealing with, you know, systematic injustices and dealing with huge problems is are you responding to the person right in front of you? Are you seeing them as a person made in the image of God? Are you showing love to them? And I'm actually struck, right, when you, you know, hear stories or read, you know, sort of the, the history of people who've done sort of big things, right, for the poor and for the least of these. And again, we celebrate, right, the amazing things that have been done um, uh, and many times in the name of the Lord, right? But when you hear those stories, often it starts with an initial act of mercy, Right? If you're familiar with Brian Stevenson, he wrote a great book called Just Mercy. There was a, a movie made of it, a, a lawyer who's done, again, great things in advocating uh, for those who have been unjustly um, convicted of crimes. Right? He's helped overturn a number of false convictions of people on death row. And so he saved lives for those who were given the death penalty and later were able to show that they were, again, unjustly um, convicted of these um, crimes. Right? But it began, right, his work, which again has had huge implications on the prison system, 
It began with him visiting one prisoner in prison and hearing their story, Walter McMillan. Right, as a brand new lawyer, right? He met with them, he heard his story, he believed him when he um, you know, shared things that were not done right in his case. And again, it led to huge implications. And I think it's important to note this, as often I think we can feel overwhelmed, right? When we think of the need, we can actually be paralyzed sometimes by the need we see, because we can think, what, what can I do, right? What, can, what difference can I make you know, for prisoners? What difference can I make for those who are hungry, those without resources? And again, there are differences we can make. But how good to keep in mind, right, Jesus' call is just respond to the need right in front of you. Here's a, here's a first step. I mean, it's striking that he even says, whatever you did for one of these, right? He's not even saying, you have to do it for a lot. Now, again, the more, the better, right? But Jesus is just saying, just for the one, respond in love and mercy. I think this also helps us then when we get to the second part of this teaching, where Jesus speaks to, you know, the goats, um, to those that he says, depart from me. We may read that and we may think, you know, isn't this a little harsh, right? I mean, they didn't murder anybody, you know, they didn't really um, uh, commit signs of commission, a term we use, right? You see that in our prayer of confession for the things we've done and the things we have left undone, right? All they have done is left something undone. So Jesus' words be so strong. But again, consider the simple thing they've left undone to respond to the need in front of you to show mercy, to show simple acts of mercy, We just get the impression, right, at this moment that these are folks who have had a striking lack of mercy, a striking lack of graciousness. If you're familiar, another challenging teaching of Jesus is a parable he tells, it's in the Gospel of Luke, of um, the rich man and Lazarus. Um, And he talks about, uh, that tells the story of this rich man um, who had great wealth, right, and this poor man named Lazarus who laid in the gate of of the rich man's house. Now, the rich man did nothing for him. And again, the picture we get of Lazarus laying in the gate is the rich man must have regularly stepped over Lazarus as he went in and out of his home. And so again, you know, the rich man's held responsible um, uh, for his lack of love for Lazarus, but all he had to do, right, was give him some water, give him some food. Again, the simple sense of the Lord is just saying, respond with mercy, treat people as those made in the image of God. And so again, it's simple acts that often lead to much greater acts. I'm struck that, you know, sometimes we'll hear the phrase, you know, don't just write a check, um, although that's kind of out of date now because no one writes checks anymore, but don't just click on a button. Or maybe we say, you know, don't just write your credit card um, numbers down uh, uh, for someone, right? And again, I understand the heart of that is, you know, you know, our hearts should be broken and we should engage with the need of this world. But also sometimes writing a check, sometimes giving money to an organization that says doing great work is a really good thing to do. And so don't let sort of, you know, the pressure of, you know, how do I make a difference keep you from actually helping and making a difference in seemingly small ways. When I talk to people that work for nonprofits, they say, we like it when people write checks, right? We like it when people give us money because that helps us do the work we've been called to do. And of course, we can serve in so many ways. So again, simple acts. And then the final thing is our hospitality and our generosity is a witness. That's again, in our value, the witness of hospitality and generosity and I actually want to um, suggest there are two ways in which it's a witness. One, again, as we act in generosity, as we offer hospitality, we are bearing witness to our Lord, who is all generous, right? Supremely generous, beyond our, our imagination, how sacrificially generous our Lord is, that he has given us life. Uh, he has brought us in, again, to his family. 
And so us serving others, right, in his name is bearing witness um, to him. It's one of many ways we bear witness. We bear witness through our word, through our community, through our worship, through our prayer, but through our acts of generosity and hospitality, we are bearing witness to him. And I'm struck that oftentimes, right, it takes faith to trust that we truly are bearing witness to him. Now, one thing we need to be aware of, it's not about bearing witness to ourselves, right? And Jesus acknowledges that temptation sometimes in our giving, right? We want to blow trumpets, um, like he says in the Sermon on the Mount, and have everyone see how generous we are. That's not what we're called to, and we need to be aware of that temptation. But he also says, do your good works before others so that they would see them and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? And so we can pray, Lord, it, Lord, as I seek to serve and to show mercy, may others see it that they would glorify you. And again, sometimes this takes faith because what the Lord calls us to is to serve the least of these. Oftentimes that means serving in hidden ways. Those who are serving the least of these often aren't seen, right? Because they're serving those, unfortunately, who at times the, our world ignores and doesn't pay attention to. But again, there's faith in that, that as I serve the least of these, it's bearing witness to the Lord, maybe in ways I don't even see. At our um, diocesan gathering we had uh, last week, so our diocese is a group of churches that we're a part of. Our group of churches is spread out um, over the upper Midwest, but we had a gathering down in the Chicago area about a week and a half ago. And there were different testimonies from some of the different churches in our diocese. And one of these churches, maybe you've heard them prayed for in our prayers of people, is called um, uh, the Church of St. Simeon and St. Anna. If you remember Simeon and Anna, they're older uh, folks who um, blessed Jesus right when he's a, a young child, a baby. And this church has been named after them because the church is specifically their mission is serving those in retirement homes and in nursing homes in rural Wisconsin. And so they actually have four services, I think, a, a Sunday, or they, they kind of have a different schedule. But it's basically a church for, again, those in, in places where, sadly, they often can be forgotten. And yet in this church, they're seeing lives transform, right? Through Bible study, through worship, through prayer, right? Through service. They have testimonies, right? Of 80-year-olds um, coming to faith in Jesus, right? Who have sort of known about God their whole life, but have never encountered Christ before. And these testimonies were just so incredible. Um, uh, Steve Buchanan and his wife, Helen, um, lead uh, those churches. And again, I was struck, this is hidden work in many ways. And yet the Lord is bearing witness to himself through that work. And so there's the witness, again, of our service. But the second thing that struck me, and again, I'm kind of embarrassed. I never thought about this before in regards to this value. It's been a value of our church from the very beginning, is there's also a way in which we are witnessed to by the Lord as we are hospitable and generous. Right? Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these, you've done for me. So he's saying, when you're feeding someone, when you're providing for someone, when you're welcoming them in, you're encountering him. You're experiencing him at that moment. And so there's a witness, right, to you in that action. And so basically he's inviting us. Do you want to encounter me? Do you want to grow in the knowledge of me? There's so many ways that we can. One of the ways is serve the least of these, right? Be hospitable, be sacrificial in your giving, and you will grow in me. If you ever find yourself in a place, and we all do at times, right, where maybe we feel a little stuck in our, you know, faith life, maybe we feel distance from the Lord, or we feel like, I, I, I want to grow, and I, I don't know how to grow. Well, here's one way we can grow, is to say, who can I be generous to, right? What ways maybe can I sort of be stretched in my generosity, in my hospitality, because Jesus is saying, you'll meet me in that place, right? And the more you can, again, engage with the least of these, you'll find a stronger connection with me, Right? If the way we're using our finances is in no way representative of our faith, right? if that's not seen in our finances, then that's something we can address, actually, that will lead to great blessings. 
and it'll lead to us being witnessed to by those very acts of generosity and hospitality, right? And again, this is true for those who know the Lord, and I believe it's true for those who don't know the Lord. In serving others, they actually experience him, and we can pray that their eyes would be open to the gift it is, um, to the gift of eternal life that comes through Christ. There's a great um, book, a great children's book called The Quilt Maker's um, Gift. Uh, that was one we read a lot to our kids, and um, uh, I'm sure I'll, I will read it again um, in, in, the, in the future. But, um, and I forgot to write down the name of the author. Whenever I uh, reference a book, I try to mention the author, but um, look it up, The Quilt Maker's Gift. Uh, but this uh, children's story, um, it tells the story of a quilt maker who makes these amazing quilts, um, beautiful quilts. And so everyone wants to buy these quilts from the quilt maker. But the quilt maker refused to sell any of her quilts. She only gives them away to people who have need. And so she seeks out those who have need and she gives them quilts, even though many people with great wealth want to buy the quilts. But then there's also in the story a king. And this king has great resources. He's a king and has many subjects. And he demands that his subjects give him gifts. Matter of fact, he decides that he will have his birthday twice a year so he can get twice as many gifts, all right? And so the king, you know, the pictures show this palace full of gifts. And yet the king is very unhappy. And he keeps thinking, someday I'll get a gift that will finally make me happy. And so someone says to him, one of his subjects says to him, hey, there's this quilt maker, and she makes these amazing quilts. Maybe that's the gift that will make you happy. So he goes to the quilt maker, he says, you know, give me one of your quilts, or I'll buy one of your quilts. She, re she refuses, right? She says to him what she says to everyone, I only give these quilts to people in need. And so there's a back and forth. He tries to force her to give um, him um, the quilt. Talking animals are involved. Um, uh, but eventually, right, he breaks down because he realizes there's no way to force her to give him um, the quilt. And so he says, all right then, you know, I'll, I'll do what you said. I'll, I'll give everything away so that I can have one of these quilts. And so there's a great moment where he gives a marble to a young child, right? It's the first thing he's ever given away in his life. And the pain he experiences as he gives this marble away, right? But he gives the marble away and he starts to feel some lightness. And then over years, he has so much stuff over years, he gives away everything that he has. Right? And kind of travels all over to distribute what he has. And finally, he gets to the place that he's given everything away. And the quilt maker finds out about it. And she finds him. And there's this great moment in the book where she wraps this quilt around him that finally, right, she can give to him now because he has no other resources. And the king laughs as he takes the quilt, but he says to her, what is this for? Why are you giving me this quilt? And she has to remind him, right, that this is why you gave everything away to get this quilt. But for him, he's had so much joy in the giving and in the sharing that he's forgotten the reason he was doing it. He was forgotten that it's in order to get something. Yeah, it's a great picture, right? That's generosity and hospitality, actually. It gives, right? As we give, we receive back. But unlike, right, that book, we don't forget why we give. Right? We don't forget, right? The reason we are called to generosity and hospitality is because of our Lord, right? We set our eyes on the cross, right? On this day that we are able to dedicate and give thanks for that cross. Right? We remember that Jesus has given up everything for us. He gave his life for us. And that, right, we receive, and out of that we give. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your generosity, for your hospitality to us. And Lord, I just pray that you would grow each one of us here today um, in acts of generosity, in acts of hospitality, Lord, not out of a, um, uh, a, a sense of, of guilt, but just out of the joy of what we've received and out of the joy of knowing that obedience to you brings freedom, um, that in our obedience we actually grow in knowledge um, of you and experience of who you are. 
So lead us, Lord, I pray. Open our eyes to see um, those needs before us. Open our eyes to see those places you're calling us to give. And even as I pray that, Lord, I am aware of the, just the immense generosity and hospitality that's represented um, by this congregation, by the people here. Lord, I know I'm speaking to many who have embraced this call. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, actually, that we experience your love um, through the things that you call us to. And so grow us, we pray, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. It's a tradition on um, All Saints Sunday to have uh, baptisms. Um, we don't have any uh, baptisms um, this Sunday, but it's still an opportunity to remember our baptisms. If you're wondering why um, Cheryl and I are wearing white stoles, right? This is the color of baptism. And again, it's a baptism Sunday. And so even though, again, we don't have baptisms, we can, um, those of us who have been baptized, can remember our baptism. And we'll do that through um, saying together the baptismal confession, which is printed on page nine of your bulletin. So I'll ask these questions and invite you to respond and affirm again um, the faith of your uh, baptismal um, confession. Do you believe and trust in God the Father? I do. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe and trust in Jesus Christ? I do. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe and trust in the Holy Spirit? I do. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated for the prayers of the people. <clears throat> 